This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized for your reading life. Want great new Kid Lit books but are overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist hand picks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co. And welcome to episode 36 of Kid Lit These Days, a book riot podcast. At Kid Lit These Days, we are your kid lit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Nicole Young, alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, and librarians, and all who loves children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on August 20th, 2020. Hi, Matthew! Hello, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Nice. I'm doing great. I'm so glad that we're getting this episode out. For oh context, we, we had a couple technical difficulties <laughs> so many. With, our, with our earlier recordings, and we wanted to make sure, one, that we recorded this well, but two, we really wanted to make sure that this topic got prioritized in our episode. So sorry that you're getting this a couple days late. I, I feel confident that you're going to think that it's worth the wait. Wouldn't you say, Nicole? I would say so. And yes, thank you for your patience all. And um, we're excited to have this conversation today. What are we talking about today? We're talking about disability um, and in particular physical disabilities in kids literature. So this is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It and is. This has been on the mind of a lot of folks. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, but I wanted to share a quick thanks to listener Laura Arnold, who wrote to us at KidLit These Days at BookRiot.com with the following message, quote, I'd love for you to highlight disabilities in an episode, specifically physical, but maybe intellectual as well. I know you've done an episode on neurodiversity, but there are so many other disabilities out there, and I'd love to share positive portrayals of kids with disabilities to readers in my life beyond the Schneider Family Book Award titles. So before we do that, why don't we share a sponsor? This episode is sponsored by War Stories by Gordon Corman from Scholastic. New from Gordon Corman, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Restart, comes War Stories, a novel about what it means to be a hero. The book follows a boy named Trevor as he discovers that there's more to the story than what he's heard his whole life about his bona fide war hero great-grandfather's involvement in World War II. This causes Trevor to wonder about his great-grandfather's heroism, the truth about the battle he fought, and the importance of genuine valor. That's War Stories by Gordon Corman from Scholastic. Thanks for sponsoring us this week. Thank you. And also, I just want to go back and say thank you, Laura Arnold, for bringing that topic up. Um, we, I'm excited to have this conversation in this, um, this episode. I have been 
ADA has been on the mind. I have been listening and, and, and just paying attention via Twitter and social media to all of um, the friends that I have in the disabilities world, advocates who are talking about the 30th anniversary of the American with Disabilities Act, um, which was a major civil rights legislation um, that talked about giving civil rights, um, restoring civil rights rather, to um, people with disabilities. Um, and it has been, it's, a, it's 30 years old. Um, it has changed the life of disabled people in this country and has changed the life of all of us. You and I had a conversation um, before when we tried to record this, before all of our technical difficulties, Matthew, um, about all of the ways that um, that the ADA has affected our lives. And it, I have just been really awed by all of the, the advocacy and work that um, advocates are doing right now to just further ADA to push it forward. And I think it's an important conversation um, for all of us to be having and talking about how we can make our world um, more accessible to more people. And then also, how can we talk about that in the frame of kids' literature? And how can we think about um, how we create a world in which every child sees themselves um, in literature, yes. in their classrooms, in the places that they learn every day, um, and can envision a future for themselves um, because we are painting that future through art and literature and um, and representation. So yeah, I'm excited about this. Yeah, listeners, depending on how old you are, if you're like me, you have encountered ADA and its effects in our society in different ways. Perhaps um, you, like me, have taken for granted some of the changes that have happened, not even knowing that they are a direct result from the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was a fantastic episode of the Throughline podcast through NPR uh, that that uh, highlighted the 30th anniversary, as well as centering stories from... Um, from people with disabilities about about how their life changed and how this movement changed things for them. Of course, not just with the signing of the act, but the carrying out of it over these past three decades. How disability has become uh, something that is, is starting to be seen differently and being seen as a civil rights issue, and how the disability community is fighting. Uh, it even had... Um, Oh, I don't remember her name. It had it had uh, two individuals that uh, were at the steps of Congress when this act was being passed, climbing the stairs. A woman um, who used, I believe, um, hand braces, arm braces, uh, and another woman who uh, was an ally but carried up in in a clutch of her arm. Uh, someone else's wheelchair crawling up the stairs uh, of Congress uh, in this landmark act that was passed. Uh, one of the most important civil rights laws since the 1960s. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole, you were mentioning briefly about how uh, friends and f uh, family in your life have been affected. But I know I shared with you off recording, but my my family directly was uh, affected by the, the passing of ADA and it, it offered an opportunity for me to talk to a family member in a way that I, I I had taken for granted. My mom is disabled and has been since, I, I from my memory, since late elementary school. So since when I was around eight or nine, and I'm 39 years old, which means my mom's been disabled since just before 
the the passing of this act. Mm. And I talked to her about that. I was talking to her about specifically I was talking to her about own voices because she had seen my Facebook post on our episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a new term for her own voices. But uh she it immediately resonated with her this idea of who is telling your story? Who's telling your story? And she said, you know, she uh, since all three of, of, of us in my family, my, my brother and my sister and I were being raised, I'm the oldest, but she said, you know, even when your younger siblings were growing up, she told a story about an orthodontist that my brother and sister went to um, that uh, did not have, because it was in a historic building, and therefore, I guess, it was outside of the jurisdiction of who needed to update the building code, the buildings to code. And so if you were disabled, um, you had to park your car outside of the building and send your kids in. And then when your kids were all done, they would come out and and one of the employees at this orthodontist would come out and talk to you uh, through the window of your car. She said things like that. She said ramps on sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even it, it's it's going to stay with me forever. How my mom said it took so long to see ramps on sidewalks everywhere. And she said, you still don't see them. There's still spots that don't have them. But but things like that, handicap accessibility, the way schools have become accessible, the way that, you know, ADA doesn't just uh, envelop physical disability, but but any disability. And so we look at school funding that's affected this way for mm-hmm. programs that support learning disabilities and um, f- uh, PT in schools and different things like that. Uh, really, it's profound the way that that if you walk through the world as an able-bodied person, how you may take for granted that some of these things that feel just like conveniences. Oh, nice. There's a little ramp down for me to cross the street. Or, oh, nice. There's a sign that tells me when yeah. I can cross, but there's also a little beeping noise that tells me when to cross. A lot of those things are direct results from the ADA. Um, yeah. and, and I think about, and we were, um, I went to the dentist today, as I said, but just as I went, went uh, onto the sidewalk in front of my dentist uh, at where the road meets the the curb, uh, the sidewalk, there's like a yellow strip that's bumpy, right? Like it feels different mm-hmm. than the smooth sidewalk. And that also is is another result from the Americans mm-hmm. with Disabilities Act for those that that um that are blind or have difficulty, have limited eyesight. Uh there are there are things in place to help individuals with, with, with varying disabilities. And I guess the thing why I, that I'm trying to drive home here is that those augmentations in in our uh, traffic lights, in our sidewalks, in our uh, schools, in our wherever, we all have benefited from those changes. Yeah, and I think that's an important point, especially when we're talking about the world of children, when we're talking about education, I, I can say from a policy perspective, I've been in a lot of rooms where, where we're talking about making sure that we're meeting ADA standards, when we're talking about meeting the standards for children with disabilities, et cetera, it's always talked about as an extra thing, right? Like an extra worry that we have to have. Um, instead of 
really the opportunity to expand access for everyone, right? Like, I think that that's a really important framing for us to, to help, because you talked a little bit before, Matthew, about the stigma around disability. Um, and hopefully, like, we are moving into a place 30 years after the ADA where more and more that stigma around disability is removed and we can begin to have conversations where we really um, allow people the fullness of who they are, right? We allow people who have physical disabilities that we actually can't see, right, to be able to be um, to, to be open about their disability if, if we are removing the stigma. But I think part of the removing of the stigma is helping us understand that providing those co- accommodations, providing um, those additions, those augmentations, as you said, actually benefits us all. Um, and like we have all benefited from ramps. Like <laughs> we have all benefited from having elevators in, in, um, in buildings, right? Like if they, if they didn't exist there would be a lot of people, even people who may not consider themselves as people with disabilities, who would have a very tough time getting up the stairs in certain buildings and certain places. And so we have to, like, as the educators, as the parents, as the grandparents, as the community members, we really, really have to make it clear to children with disabilities that the, the work that we're doing to make their world comfortable for them is not a burden. It's not an extra thing. It, it is a thing that we should be doing just like the way that we do it for our able-bodied children. Um, I think that's just such an important frame. And I am and I think that was one of the major goals of the ADA. Um, but I don't know if we're fully there yet 30 years later, but it's somewhere I know that I want to be as someone who's interacting with children every day who have disabilities I can see and disabilities I can't, you know? Yeah, a great line you gave me last time we talked about the ADA. A great line you gave me was that um, as legislation, it is recent and still not fully realized. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. phrase. I wrote it in my journal. <laughs> I wrote it in my, in my notebook <laughs> that I keep our, our show notes in. I wrote Yay. it down. I um I wanna I wanna admit something just so that we can have transparency on how we were affected. Uh, how 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 we have walked through, how I have walked through this this world as an able bodied person, and that is that uh, when I was in library school um, about fifteen years ago about 15 years ago, uh, we were given the assignment, which I know lots of teachers are given as well. We were given the assignment to design our dream library. And I think what that really is trying to get at is thinking about what materials would you have? What like makerspace things would you have? What technology, how would you innovate in that space, right? Having um, desks that can move uh, and be broken apart so that you can have like these cool new workspaces and work on all these different groupings and areas. But I distinctly remember the difference between that dream library. And at that time I had already been in a library. I uh, was hired a year early uh, from finishing my certification. So I had my library that I was thinking about, but I remember designing this library and then stepping into the library And having that reflection of, you know what I didn't plan for? I didn't plan Mm -hmm. for making these aisles wide enough for a child in a wheelchair to get through, for making it accessible. And you just threw out a line uh, just a second ago about um, about accessibility for all and that it's it's not something that should have to be earned. It should be something that's given. And I think about calling a project a dream library and thinking, who am I keeping out of this dream? Mm. And so I hope that yeah. as as we all are, are thinking about what we do with a, a dream budget, what we do with a, a dream setup at your uh in your in your 
a home or a classroom or, or whatever you're doing, when we think about those dreams, I, I hope that we challenge ourselves to include others in our dreams. I think we touched yep. on that in our own voices work and in some of the other podcasts we've done. But I, I think it's important that we keep we keep making sure that we are drawing people into those things that we're dreaming. Yes. And that we invite all children to be able to dream themselves into those places. Right. I, we, every child should be able to dream their dream library. Also just the idea of library school. I have, I have read way too many uh, fantasy books about like library things. I don't know why there's a series called the library. It's like a fantasy library that exists in another world. Anyway. So when I imagine you in library school, I imagine you in, in this like magical library school, but anyways, I will tell you that um, but, whenever libraries come up in comics, I'm always quite giddy. <laughs> but I should say, speaking of dream, and I'm not even I'm not even trying to be like cheesy about this, but I know that you had an interview this week with an upcoming picture book author. I did. And from reading the description of this book, I for real, and I get this way about books, I've been dreaming about reading this book. Can you tell us about who we get to hear on the show today? I had a wonderful interview with Kia Brown, who is a disabilities writer, advocate. Um, she is the creator of the hashtag Disabled and Cute. And she also has recently written an adult book called The Pretty One, but she has a children's book, her first picture book coming out in 2022, and it's called Sam Super Seats. And so she and I get to talk about it. So you get to hear from her. Can't wait. Kia Brown is a journalist, author, and screenwriter. Her work has appeared in Teen Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, Mary Claire, UK, and the New York Times, among other publications. Kia is the creator of the hashtag Disabled and Cute. Her debut essay collection, The Pretty One, is out now. And excitingly, she just announced that her debut picture book, Sam Super Seats, will be out fall 2022 um, via Co Cochlea Books. Uh, Kia, thank you so much for joining Kidlet these days. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I really have been waiting to be able to talk about <laughs> this picture book for quite some time. Awesome. Well, first, let's go there. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your upcoming book, about Sam Super Seats, and tell us what the impetus was for venturing into the world of kids' literature? Well, I'm a Virgo who loves a schedule and a plan, so... <laughs> Kidlet was literally always in my 10-year plan. Um, it just happened that Sydney Monday, who is one of the editors who acquired my book at Cochlea, had read The Pretty One, and she liked the idea of, well, in the book I talk about comfort via chairs, and she liked the idea of me talking to kids about the importance of comfort. And she was like, do you have any idea, like, what you might want to talk about? And I was like, I have a thousand. <laughs> in a row and so we really got together and um this is a labor of love in terms of talking to kids about the importance of rest um we live in a society that is always talking about how we need to hustle harder keep going keep moving and do all these things that sometimes we're pushing past our body's limits and so what sam super seats is is a story about a little girl named Sam who is going back to school shopping with her mom and her two best friends. And along the way, she learns the value of rest and making sure that she's taking care of her body and not beating herself up for the fact that she gets tired because she too has 
cerebral palsy. She has a disability that requires rest. And so it's really about her journey of learning how to have fun with her friends and get excited for school, but also to rest her body when she needs it. I love that. I think also, I mean, 2022, who knows where we'll be at the end of this pandemic. <laughs> right. But I think uh, the idea of teaching kids about the value of rest after we come out of a time that will be so, that is just so emotionally and physically taxing for so many people right now. Um, I love that idea that we're entering that, that you are entering that into the, the discourse around, around like life and busyness and all the things. That's amazing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, so tell me, um, you said this was always in the plan. So what stories were you hungry to read as a child? And what do you feel like is still missing in the world of kids literature? I think for me, it was really just me being hungry to read books that featured people like me in them. Um, I know, you know, everybody talks about the importance of representation. But for me, as a young girl with cerebral palsy, it would have been so nice to see a book like the one that I've written, because I think that you start to second guess yourself a lot. And like, you're a kid, so you're trying to figure out who you are and what your place is in the world. And books are a way to help you do that. I've been an avid reader since I was very young. You know, my grandmother, may she rest in peace, was one of the first people who wanted to make sure that me and my twin sister were, um, very into reading and we she got us our first books and it sort of just sparked this love for me at a very early age and so I would have to find bits and pieces of myself in characters who didn't look like me because representation was so scarce and I think even now as far as kid lit has gone there's still so much more that needs to happen in terms of representation like I want to see a broader range of disability period um, in kid lit. I think we don't mm -hmm. talk enough about people who are of color and disabled. We don't talk enough mm -hmm. about kids who are maybe, you know, queer and disabled. We don't talk about different mm -hmm. types of disability, how sometimes it's people who use wheelchairs or people who use walkers or some people who use them only part time, some people who don't use them at all. And so I think that it really just needs to be about expanding what we know to be the world of kid lit as it is right now, which is I a tall that. order. <laughs> it, it is, but maybe it isn't, right? Like it's like there are people who exist, people like you, and and I think there are just so many other people who live at the intersections of multiple identities, right? And who speak to being black and disabled, and you know, speak to being other people who speaking to being queer and disabled, etc. And there are people who live at these junctures who are wanting, who are writers, who are talented writers. Um, and there's room for them at the table to write um, the stories that speak to children like you, but then also to teach children like me about how they should be thinking more expansively about not just the world, but their classmates that are sitting right next to them every day. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just So so this year marks the 30th uh, year of the American with Disabilities Act, which was mm -hmm. a watershed civil rights legislation for people with disabilities. And I've seen on the internet, I've, I've followed a lot of disability advocates who've been doing this reflection this year um, from within the disability community about where the country is 30 years later and whether or not the legislation has really truly fulfilled its promise. And so my overwhelming takeaway from being a reader and a, a listener is that there's so much that is left undone. There's still so many things that even as you just were talking about, 
that are invisible to those outside of the disability community. And so I'm curious, how can able-bodied parents, families, and teachers, how can they normalize physical disabilities and make the needs of kids with disabilities more visible? I love this question. I think that it's uh, sort of like a three-parter. One, it's necessary to do what you're doing and listen to people inside the community. I think that it's imperative because you can't talk over someone when you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, people do it, but they shouldn't. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, they do it, but they really shouldn't. The second thing I think is to expose your kids to people who share lived experiences outside of them. So if you want your kid to, to learn something about disability, why don't you make sure that they have disabled friends? And not like in a tokenizing answer all our questions way, but just treat the disabled kid or the disabled person like, you know, we're people. And if you want your kid to learn more, then you need to have those people in your kids' lives. As well as like, you know, the standard um, reading books and movies and and, you know, looking for people inside the community who are already doing the work because, those three things, I think, are the things that happen when people really care, but it really is about making sure that you have your child or yourself even in a diverse um, and inclusive friend group where these sorts of things are represented so that when your kid gets to school and they meet Roger, who is a wheelchair user, or Susie, who uses a cane, or Alexis, who uses none at all, or the people with invisible disabilities. If, if you can get your kid to a point where they're already experiencing these types of people outside of the classroom, they'll be much more um, willing and likely to embrace those that are in the classroom. So it's about a full stop, um, making sure that disability is in as many parts of your child's life as possible. Because it shouldn't be that you treat disabled kids or the disabled kids in the classroom that your kids are in with or share with like they are you know to to be felt sorry for to be pitied like oh go talk to um jane she looks you know she's disabled so x y and z thing or don't look at jane don't talk about her disability i think a lot of it is like reframing that idea and making sure that you're okay with talking to your kid about disability and what mm -hmm. disability means. And that requires doing research, but also maybe even asking, you know, the other kid, the disabled kid, what they think, or asking their parents first. I think that's important. But mm -hmm. also just the idea that there's a lot of groundwork that you should be doing on your own on the internet or, you know, in books or what, what have you before you go and put the onus on another disabled person to do that work for you. Just do the base level work. And then when you want to, you know, learn and grow, or you're trying to figure out where it is that you want to start, then reach out to a person in the community. Because I think that it's always better to approach something like that from the, you know, mind and ideals of the people who are already experiencing it. Because disabled adults are just disabled kids who got older so there's mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's just this like 
um, inherent thing. We can, we can share those experiences because we lived them. And so if you're looking for a way to even navigate having your own disabled child, I think it's wonderful to look within the disability community because there are a lot of resources where people talk about, um, in particular, just the language you should use and the sort of autonomy you should give your child. Is there something that you wish your teachers had known about your disability when you were a child that would have made it better, made your experience better, made your life easier, made it less awkward for you as a disabled kid? Um, Three things. Me and threes today. Um, <laughs> the first is that I didn't need them to speak to me slower. I could understand them as is. Um, that happened to quite a few times when I was younger. It was just teachers speaking to me differently because they thought I couldn't understand them. Um, that that certain things take longer than a non-disabled person. Like especially, I had a lot of issues in gym class uh, as a kid mm-hmm. because it would take me longer to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of teachers didn't quite understand that. And then it's just the idea that like um, disabled kids are still kids, and so instead of treating them like they're precious or fragile, it's important that it's, that you include them in like, you know, lesson plans and you make sure that you're giving them the attention that they need and also the respect that they deserve in the classroom. Um, Outside of just this idea that you're putting up with them or you should be seen as a hero just for teaching them. I think that it's really about respecting every kid in your classroom, including those disabled kids, and making sure that you are really listening to their needs and what works best for them, not just your non-disabled students. Thank you. Um, I often wonder when I see disability advocates like yourself, like how exhausting. I know that just as a Black, able-bodied woman, I'm tired of teaching people about race. I I wonder (laughs) if it is exhausting sometimes to have to like teach people about disability. Um, But I appreciate you doing it and making space and time for us to listen um, to your experience. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yes, it's very exhausting, especially when you live at that intersection of being Black, disabled, and queer. And you're like, okay, so I have to explain all three. Cool. (laughs) Um, No, but I think that as long as it helps, um, that's the best you can ask for. Like, there are going to be days and there are, and there have been days where like it's exhausting to do a sort of one-on-one lesson about but um for me I feel like as long as it's helping someone if it can change someone's mind and and, and can also change you know policy and these sort of larger structural societal ideas of what disability is then the work is worth it you know but also at the end of the day like you I'm still a re- I'm still just a person who like needs a break. <laughs> well, we were talking about rest at the beginning, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and it's like building in, building in that rest. Um, yeah. But again, we just I appreciate you bringing that to this space because I think it's so critical. Um, because our job as adults and people who not only educate children but who you know, help guide the lives of children, it is important for us to just listen to them <laughs> and and really create environments that fit their needs, not what we think that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, you know, Kids Lit has a long way to go to get to the dream you have. And I think a lot of other uh, folks with disabilities have for the space that is kids literature. But right now, are there any um, children's books about kids with disabilities that you love 
And are there any coming out that you're really excited about? Um, I don't know if it's, I don't think it qualifies as, what's the age range with kids lit again? We go up to middle grades on, on our podcast. So yeah. Hmm. I feel like, I feel like I feel terrible because I had all of these like things with regard to that. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm sure that there are so many people doing great work. And I think that, um, what's nice is that there aren't enough right now, but I think that within, you know, the next five or so years that will grow. Um, because I'm, I'm only seeing like, you know, I keep thinking about, um, like YA, which is, which is completely different. I think that there's more representation in YA right now for disabled, for disability. But I do think that, um, you know, at least talking to my other friends who are writers, they're like, listen, we want to try to dive into, um, middle grade and we want to try to dive into kid lit so I think that in the next five or so years we'll see more but right now I just I'm blanking on um on what sort of work there is right now for disabled uh kids but I do think that it's coming that's exciting. Well, I mean, Sam Super Seats is coming our way in 2022. Um, <laughs> Kia, thank you so much for making time to talk to us. Um, I'm really excited to include you in this conversation that we're having on, on Kid Lit this week. And um, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. I love, I love this stuff. So thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insider perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and epic. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group, Group Read, hosted online, available to all Epic members. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. Insiders also get access to our new release index so they can keep track of upcoming releases they're most excited about. Exclusive podcasts, bookish merch deals, and more. Head to insiders.bookriot.com to start your free two-week trial. Well, Nicole, it is my favorite time. (laughs) It's book time. It's book time. Let's get in on the books. So, folks, listen. This is our book talk segment. You know that we're going to take all these notes for you. We'll throw them in our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Just find episode 36 of Kill It these days. We've recorded these all for you. But no doubt you're going to want to pick up some of these books. You're going to want to suggest some of these books, uh, some books that we didn't know about. So when you do that, hop onto social media, use hashtag Kill It These Days, or feel free to email us your book suggestions at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. That's how you can reach us. We check that email all the time, and we love getting your suggestions. We want to uh, make sure we emphasize uh, at the top of our book talking segment here that uh, we were working real hard to find own voices, stories about disability. And as you might guess, they are hard to come by. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people writing about disability. There are a lot of moms and teachers and uh, friends of folks with disability. Those are not without merit. Uh, but we are doing our best 
to center own voices where we can. So Nicole and I are going to go ahead and just uh, mention when a book is an own voices title. We'll make sure that we emphasize that for you so that you're aware. We have a lot of books to lay a lot of love on, uh, but we'll make sure we offer that distinction for you. All right, Nicole, you want to start us off with our first one? Sure. So A Snicker of Magic is by Natalie Lloyd. I actually pulled this book, um, this audio book for our back to school episode, but I ended up using it here because one of the main characters is a character with a disability. And I think he accomplishes what a lot of the disability advocates, including Kia, um, have told us that they want to see more of in kids literature. Um, but but I will just give you a quick description of the book. So Midnight Gulch used to be a magical place, a town where people could sing up thunderstorms and dance up sunflowers. But that was long ago before a curse drove the magic away. And 12-year-old Felicity knows all the things, uh, all about things like that. Her nomadic mother is cursed with a wandering heart. But when she arrives to Midnight Gulch, Felicity thinks her luck's about to change. A, f- a word collector, Felicity Seawards, sees words everywhere, shining above strangers, tucked in a church eaves and dangled up in her dog's floppy ears. But Midnight Gulch is the first place she has ever seen words like home. And then there's Jonah, a mysterious, spiky-haired do-gooder who shimmers with words that Felicity has never seen before, words that make Felicity's heart beat a little faster. And so this book is not own voices, um, but Jonah is a character with disability. He has a wheelchair. um, And I think he is just, his wheelchair and his disability are normalized in the context of the book in a way that I think is refreshing. Um, in a middle grades novel. And so I just wanted to highlight it. I think that's beautiful. The first book that I'm going to jump into um, is an own voices title. It's a nonfiction biography collection. It's written by um, author Carrie Burnell, illustrated by Lauren Baldo. It's called I Am Not a Label. 34 Disabled Artists thinkers, athletes, and activists from past to present. This book is beautifully illustrated and um, takes, uh, uh, gives us a walk through history and around the world um, to learn about individuals that you may or may not know have a disability, an intellectual disability or a physical disability. Um, But it, it, not only highlights the disability, but leans into the accomplishment, uh, whether that was a disability that was embraced in order to accomplish and make a mark on the world or one that was uh, overcome. Or well, to give you some examples, we have Stevie Wonder in this book. Stevie Wonder was one of the first people I can think of um, that I knew as a celebrity had a disability. And that was important yeah, because it, it allowed... A, it allowed humanizing the experience of 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 someone being born different from me, right? Yeah, I think, and also just not limiting what the possibilities are, because Stevie Wonder is one of the greatest geniuses of our time. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yes, you've got, and I love in this book. I love that you're using that word because side by side in that book, Stevie Wonder and Stephen Hawking, right? Yeah, come on, geniuses. that's so good. Geniuses. So good to have that back to back. Um, Emmanuel Afosu Yeboa is in this book. Um, he um, has a limb difference uh, and um, was a bike rider in Ghana and, and uh, had an important uh, contribution. We talk about folks that I have not heard of before, like Catalina mm-hmm. Devandas, who's a lawyer. Um, just I'm literally flipping randomly through here. Um, Wanda Diaz-Merceo. 
uh, Frida Kahlo, Helen Keller. There are names in here that you know and names that you do not know. And what's quite beautiful, too, is that it's got a wonderful glossary of terms that are mentioned. It's got um, a section of folks with hidden disabilities. Uh, It's got... um, words from the author herself who has uh, limb differences. I just feel like this book is doing everything right. (laughs) And just to hand it to a child is to invite them into engaging in experiences where they may see themselves uh, and they may see others um, in ways that they might even reveal to you or not. Uh, I think that it's important that we uh, broaden our view of the world and the people in it, uh, whether they directly connect to us or not. So beautiful, beautiful book. It's called I Am Not a Label. Clearly, I have a very hard time not gushing over it. That's why I put it first. <laughs> do you have another own voices before I go, Matthew? I'd love I totally to do. I have one. a book okay. that is insanely good. This is like a must-have in every library collection. And I'm so glad we're re-recording this episode because I totally forgot about it until I did my (laughs) own searching again. I was like, wait, I know in my other library I have this book. So this book is called Not So Different. What You Really Want to Ask About Having a Disability. And it's written by Shane Burkaw um, with some like graphic illustrations by Matt Carr. Um, It's a book of questions it's a non-fiction book where um shane who uh is in a wheelchair he um has a rare disease called spinal muscular atrophy which hinder hinders his muscular growth right um mm-hmm. and in this book it's questions that he gets from kids that see him and ask like there is a question that leads a section called why is your head so big there's a question uh about why do you talk funny it's questions that quite frankly as an adult i would feel really ashamed if my kid asked but the real shame is would have been my reaction to my kid being curious instead of inviting mm-hmm. a, a respectful conversation about it and this book is an individual that we see photographed on every single page inviting readers children to to ask it even has on the cover um shane is is looking up at the title says not so different what you really want to ask about having a disability and there's a speech bubble coming out of his mouth saying go ahead ask me it's just it's like this is this is the way this is the way to do it. it it's it's how um if your body has these limitations then how do you do things like play sports or eat pizza or do video games or or any of these things um and and it gives a chance to to also have a glimpse inside home life which at school we don't always see so he talks about well i have to have someone help me to roll over in bed or to help mm-hmm. me brush my teeth that doesn't mean that i'm not uh, you know, like intellectually capable of of what it means to do these things. It means my body physically won't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I, I I find it to be exceptional. So shout out to that book. That came out in 2017. So it's it it hopefully is in a whole bunch of schools and libraries. But if not, like let's let's bring it back in. Yeah, I love that. I think also it's thinking about helping kids think about the limitations actually are usually in the environment, right? And like the person, whoever has a disability, right, has is differently limbed, differently bodied, 
right? And the limitation comes when we don't build spaces that accommodate their needs, right? And so how I think things <laughs> oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, the limitation the, is certainly one that we put on them. It's imposed, yeah. And so I think thinking about how helping kids too think about how um, what how does your class how does your cafeteria space work, right? Does that allow your dis- disabled friends to be able to get around fully, right? Like there are things like that that hopefully that um, books like this help highlight. Oh, so Nicole, I have another if, one. If I, I could, know. can I just can I just if we could walk into a classroom? Let me just say that most children, they're already there. As you can imagine, they want to help. They they have, I feel like m- m- most, if not all children seem to have such a strong pull for empathy. They yes. just want to help. We can balance yes. that with where it might go too far. Uh, when, when I share uh, my next book, I'll, I'll talk a bit about that. But to know that children are always willing to carry a tray, pour a, a, a drink, do this, do that. I, I see that constantly. The children just want, want to help. Yeah. And we can help them think about how to advocate for a built environment that helps support their friends. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And support that beautiful empathy that they already have built in. Um, so my book, again, another one that's not on voices, but it's um, a song for a whale by Lynn Kelly. Um, and so I just want to read the blurb a little bit and you, you've shared this book with me, Matthew, but so I would love for you to add I love anything. love this book. Sure. Go ahead. Um, but, uh, from fixing the class computers to repairing old radios, 12 year old Iris is a tech genius, but she's the only deaf person in her school. So people often treat her like she's not very smart. Um, if you have ever felt like no one was listening to you, then you know how hard that can be. And when she learns about Blue 55, a real whale who is unable to speak to other whales, Iris understands how he must feel. Um, then she has an idea. She should have meant a way to sing to him. Uh, but he's 3,000 miles away. How will she play her song for him? So, Song for a Whale by Lynn Kelly. This story is exceptionally beautiful. I think even for me even more beautifully done as an audiobook. What a beautiful way to experience this story. Um, uh, as we said, Lynn Kelly wrote this story about a girl who is deaf, um, who feels like a burden in the classroom. She feels like she um, gets in the way, is a problem. She is um, in her family. She feels like she's a burden to a degree. Um, she hears about this whale whose song doesn't match the pod's song, which causes a problem. If the whale's song doesn't match the pod's song, that means the whale cannot communicate with others in its pod. And this is a true story about this whale, and the the whale is true, um, being alone in the wild because its song doesn't match other pods. And so in the story, um, the, the main character runs away from home because she feels like she's been following the scientists who are reporting on and researching and reporting on this whale. And she feels like, wait, I, I have a solution. I I have a way that I bet you can communicate to this whale, making a personal connection with her own communication. And so, um, when she finds barriers to do that, uh, to doing that, she runs away from home. Um, and attempts to meet up with the scientist doing that research who ends up being at a location or her, her team will be at a location near where, uh, this child is. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, uh, harrowing at, at parts. Um, but one that, that is really touching 
and I think really calls on all of our needs to be seen. It's okay that we're all different and unique and whatever. It's easy for people to say, oh, it's great. You're different. You're unique. This is wonderful. But that can also feel like you're alone. And to feel like you're not alone and to to quest to find how not to be alone, to find value for your your uh, for where you are in life and what you feel like you can contribute. This story explores those themes in a really wonderful way. I loved it. What else? Mm. Ooh, boy, I could go on about that book, but let's talk about El Defo. <laughs> El okay. Defo is an own voices story about, it's an autobiography, about Cece Bell. It's uh, her graphic memoir. Um, Cece Bell is a picture book author and chapter book author, and she wrote this graphic novel that won uh, a Newbery honor. Uh, it was a, a, a landmark in that way to do that. Uh, it's a story about her um, losing her hearing as a child and then what going through school was like in that experience. The story is told through bunnies, which I think is brilliant because your uh, eyes immediately are focused on everyone's ears. Mm-hmm. Um, but this bunny has a hearing aid and uh, uh, what do you call that box? Like a transistor box that the um, teacher, I, my first year teaching, um, I had a child, Nina, um, who had a hearing aid that I would wear a, a microphone um, and it would you know, come out of this, this little speaker amplifier box that she had, or that would come out in her, um, in her hearing aid. And so, uh, Cece is going through school with that experience, which is often funny because it means that she can either turn it off sometimes when she doesn't want to hear people, or sometimes she can spy on the teacher if the teacher forgets to turn off the microphone (laughs) and she goes into the staff lounge. There's moments that are really funny, but there's also these moments of, of friends who are either uh, marginalizing Cece for her hearing loss or are trying too hard to be helpful and in that way getting in the way. Uh, And so I think that there's space for a lot of kids to see themselves uh, in Mm. this book. And it's, it's really one that for any adult that hasn't read a comic, this to me uh, is the first one I would ever recommend anybody read because it, 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 so brilliantly uses the graphic novel format to attempt to communicate the experience of hearing loss. And it can do that through speech bubbles and text fading and garbled language from um, other characters in this story. It's, it's, it's brilliantly done. Uh, and, and it's a comic for all ages. El Defo. El Defo. Which is the name that Cece came up with for herself, by the way. That was what she used okay. to call herself in school. And so here's a, a name um, that that takes power of that disability and, and creates a superhero. It's cute. I love it. You got the rest, Matthew. Oh, I got the rest. Well, <laughs> let me talk about a book that... Another book that I um, have, have gotten to share with you enough times that now we both have it in our lives. Which is yes, called... I feel like we have we always get <laughs> fixated on one that becomes I'm like waiting. the one that oh, we yeah. talk about for like three different episodes, and this one, yeah, <laughs> yep. we're gonna keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. No, folks, it's not Front Desk by Kelly Yang. It is a different <laughs> one. <laughs> love you, Kelly, if you're listening. Um, you, this Kelly book, <laughs> this book is magnificent. Homespun Brown, a celebration by Samara Cole Doyon, illustrated by Kehlani Juanita. The beautiful thing about this book, which we highlighted in Own Voices because it talks about 
um, shades of skin. It talks about being brown and beautiful. It talks about a connection to experiences in memory and nature, uh, and then drawing that connection right back to your body, your hair, your skin, your joy. But within this book also, Kehlani has worked masterfully at bringing visibility to limb differences and disabilities, um, as well as different identities. She's done a beautiful, beautiful job, one that I think requires looking closely, which is what we want inclusion to feel like. We don't want inclusion to feel forced. We want it to feel like you, the individual, really looking and seeing people for who they are beyond their disability, but also not ignoring their disability. There are individuals with limb differences. Uh, there are individuals in wheelchairs. Um, I love pointing out that there's uh, an adult character that reads to me as queer. When I interviewed Kehlani and Samara for the Children's Book Podcast, Kehlani was like, she totally is. In my mind, she was. I mean, who knows if she is? And I thought, isn't that the sweetest <laughs> reaction that Kehlani herself says, who knows if she is? I, she doesn't know yeah. these people. Um, but but for anyone to feel a sense of of family or of, of connection in seeing characters, uh, I think it's important to point that out. This is not an own voices book for disability, but it is a beautiful example of how inclusion can work uh, in a way that doesn't feel prescriptive. Love nice. It. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, the next, I, I, I have two more that I'm going to share. Uh, I'm sort of building up to my last one. I, I want to connect what I said in the beginning of the podcast to the last book. So the next one I'm going to add uh, is My Three Best Friends and Me, Zule, written by Carrie Best and illustrated by Vanessa Brantley Newton. In this story, Zule and her three best friends are all in the same first grade class, and they study the same things, even though Zule is blind. When their teacher asks her students what activity they want to do on field day, Zuley surprises everyone when she says she wants to run a race. And with the help of a special aid and the support of her friends, Zuley does just that. I love that this book, uh, this is not an own voices book, but it is a book about allyship. And it is a book about, um, about, dissolving the idea of limitations and rather turning that into opportunity. It's written by, um, the two author, by an author and illustrator of color, um, which is something I bring up a lot too, um, because not only is it difficult to look for own voices, disability books, but it is almost impossibly difficult, especially in the picture book world to find own voices books with individual individuals of color with disability. So I say yes. this because, you know, if we don't talk about it, we won't see that change. I was thinking about my, my interview with Kia and I, she, I asked her a question at the end of the interview and I was like, do you, are there any books that you want to recommend? And she didn't have any suggestions in part because there's such a dearth of books in the kid lit space that are featuring um, kids of color with disability. And so like, I cannot wait till Sam super seats comes out. Um, we need it, but I also just want to highlight you and I talk about this a lot that, you know, the, we, as the people who are in children's lives, um, the teachers, the parents, the librarians, the community members really need to highlight 
there is a gap. Um, and we, one, we need, we should be listening to people in the disabilities community, right? We should make ourselves, if we are able-bodied, we should make ourselves listeners and help out, like amplify those voices. But two, we just got to push for more. There needs to be more representation on all levels in kids' literature, but in yes. particular for people of color with disabilities, it's, it's a gap. More yeah. people writing and more publishers publishing those books that they write. There are yes. some books that are self-published. They're not widely available. And sometimes the the quality of writing, the narrative or the illustrations are are lacking a, a polish that really makes it something that that works reading it over and over and over. Um, but I think that also sometimes these books are being written out of a need to fill a gap urgently, which I, I don't mm-hmm. discount. I think that there's there's just work to be done, and I'm glad that there are people leading the way, but I hope that, that other people um, pick up the charge as well and that we're here to support. So the, the final book I want to share, the final picture book I want to share is called All the Way to the Top, How One Girl's Fight for Americans with Disabilities Changed Everything. It's by Annette Bay Pimentel. It's illustrated by Nabi Ali. And uh, this is the story of Jennifer Keelan, who uh, is a real-life uh, disabled individual who um, was determined to make a change, even if she was just a kid. And she is one of these individuals uh, who uh, is wheelchair-bound and is also photographed climbing the stairs of Congress, leaving her wheelchair behind 30 years ago in order to uh, make disability visible and um, show up in support of the Americans with Disabilities Act being passed. It's a beautiful story. The the, the cover illustration uh, takes inspiration from photos of Jennifer at that event, and the back matter also includes a lot more information as well as historic photographs from that event. Which are stunning, by the way. Um, mm. What an amazing... Um, protests, what a like amazing act of civil disobedience. It's incredible. Um, so thank you to all of the the advocates here and past who made the American the Americans with Disabilities Act a reality. So yeah, absolutely. Well, our podcast was a little longer than normal, but I think it was full of a lot more than we uh, could possibly cram in. So uh, thank you all for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. Did the episode connect with you? Appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or a tweet or a Facebook message or any way you want to share. When you do that, you also help other people find this podcast. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. Thanks to DR Baker for sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear next on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. <laughs> <laughs>